push our, push our diaphragm and get down so we can feel it in our belly. And let that be your natural breath. So sitting up with your, with your, where you know your lungs aren't having any trouble to take in that oxygen is really good, especially these days. So, and you're not forcing it. We want it to be your natural breath. So gradually, if you're not used to that, you can gradually, every time you practice, be sure. And I recommend you have your hand on your belly in case you're, you're not sure if you're getting that deeper breath naturally. So gently close your eyes. Observe your body breathing. Be aware of the temperature, how it feels as you breathe, how it feels to your skin. Be aware of the sounds. Notice any fragrance or smell, just the difference of the smell between being outside and then coming into a building. Be aware of any taste in your mouth. Just be aware of all of the sensory doors of your body being open, except for your eyes. Be aware of the thoughts in your head. But even with all of our sense doors open, we can decide and make a choice between what we focus on or not. So just allow all of those things to be in the background of your mind. Even your thoughts, let them just pass through your mind. Don't struggle with them, just don't feed them your attention. And let's begin with metta. This is such an important practice these days. Begin with yourself, your inner strength, your inner self needs to be nurtured to help you keep going, to help you be stronger for other people, other beings. So send wishes for good health. May I be well, may I feel safe in this world. May I be free from fear and anxiety and worry. May I be content. May I find joy in even the slightest things every day. May I be at peace. Feel yourself breathing in each of these qualities. As you breathe out, you can let go of worry and fear and anxiety.
Now think of a loved one. Send the same blessings, the same wishes to your loved one. May my loved one be well and feel safe. Be contented. and able to see the joy of the slightest little thing, to feel it arise, even if it's just for a few seconds. May my loved one be at peace. Now today we have a dear friend of Blue Lotus, a member of our Sangha, Dwayne DeYoung. And we're going to dedicate this service to him, but I want to incorporate him into our practice. He's ill and in the hospital. We want to send all of our goodwill to him, to encourage him in healing, being able to come home. Think of Duane, and also if you have a loved one who is sick, whether they're in the hospital or healing and recovering at home, Please think of them and think of Duane and send your thoughts wishing for health and a feeling of safety again in this world. May those who are ill be free from fear and worry and anxiety. May they be content, and may they be at peace as they heal and recover. Now we can extend these same feelings and thoughts of goodwill to all beings, human beings and non-human beings, those who agree with us and those who don't. We can let go of all of our differences and see the connection that we all have with one another and with this earth and with the creatures on this earth, with this entire planet. Just imagine you're out in space looking down back at the earth. What a beautiful picture. Think of all the beings 
and how important it would be if we could all feel the connection between us. Not the differences, but the connections. Being able to help people who are going through natural disasters as if they were our next-door neighbors or our family. Being able to protect the life of creatures. Think of all the non-human beings and the invisible beings on our planet. Think of beings being born and beings dying. And let this feeling of goodwill and kindness and compassion let it be in every breath now just turn your attention to your breath and again let your awareness rest on your body breathing And allow your body to relax and let your mind relax. Let go of things that you worry about just for now. Let yourself take a break. Let your thoughts just come and go. No need to try to solve problems or figure things out. Just be with your gentle breath. If it feels hard to relax, if you feel that your stress levels are moving higher and higher, let that be the focus of your practice right now. Just be aware of how your mind is going in circles. Be aware of how it feels to have that stress in your physical body. Does it keep your breath right up in the top of your lungs? If it does, put your hand on your belly. Let your body breathe and feel your belly rise and fall. But be aware of how your body is reacting to the stress If you're worrying about something or just feel a tension in your body, be aware of that. You may have to confront that face to face, so to speak. 
Feel it in your body. Feel where it arises from. Really look at it. Acknowledge it's there. And sometimes it's just that acknowledgement of our fear, of our worry, that can allow it to see that it's recognized. And then it can subside, give you a break. Acknowledge it. Allow it to arise and pass away. Don't feed it. Recognize how unhelpful it is. It's not moving any situation forward. And it feels so bad in our bodies. So see it, recognize it, and then breathe. And as you breathe out, see if you can let it go. Give those dark feelings permission to leave. They're not helping us. But we recognize them. We don't want to hide our heads in the sand. And if your body feels calm and relaxed and you don't feel any of those feelings of stress or worry, just see how beautiful it feels to be at peace. Feel that in your body. Feel the openness, the open heart, the open mind. the connection with our body. Keep coming back to your breath. Don't get sidetracked by stories. Just be with the feelings. No need for a story for each one. No one to blame. Just be with your feelings. See if you can breathe and then allow them to flow through you.
Breathe in peace and breathe out peace. Breathe in healing and breathe out healing. Now, as we end, may peace be with you. May you be well and stay safe. May you be happy and peaceful. Thank you. So we'll skip the chanting so I, am I talk? Can you hear me? The, I, the mic is picking me up here. Okay. Um, I'd like to begin with a very short topic, and then I'd like to open it to any kind of comments anyone wants to make, or uh, questions you might have, and we'll do that because it, I, I'm sure if I if. I'll repeat your questions so you can leave your mask on and feel safe. Um, I had to bring my notes because I always forget, no matter what I, if I have a list of anything, I'll forget the last thing. But I've, uh, I just bring this up as just a topic of something where I can just remind you of these things. But I realize this is really the brink of uh, the of election day, and that for most of us we're are, we're waiting with bated breath, right? And maybe for the election results, or maybe for what happens the week after the results, or when will we get the results? Um, so I know we all have a lot of. Whatever, and I don't want to talk politics, but whatever our political viewpoints, we're all anxious about it at some level. Uh, some of us are, de- you know, it's we're okay with it, but it's all it's something that's we're looking at a big, big important election. And then I was telling someone earlier. Then so I've recommended going on a news fast. And, and I, and I have had to do it myself because we're so close to the elections that everything we're hearing is just, you know, filling up the space. Maybe the stories that didn't get published earlier. It's, and it's just ramping up anxiety. We, we, I'm sure that the uh, results are already, have already been de- decided by the votes already cast. 
But what we don't need to do is to keep fretting and worrying and becoming anxious and uh, conspiracy theories and all of those kind of, this is what's going to happen after the elections. Those things are really not helpful because it's not like we're preparing for a specific outcome, right? We're all just uh, working with fear. So a lot of our theories and a lot of what we're afraid is going to happen it's really not, it hasn't happened yet. And if we talk about mindfulness practice, we know we can't live in the future. So we really, we've got to be prepared for everything. But we've got to, what we need to focus on is our own practice, is how we're dealing with, how each one of us is dealing with this, the anticipation. If nothing else, the anticipation. And we want to be prepared for whatever happens. And the only way we can really do that is to work with right now. So I've recommended a news fast, and uh, I think it was Jason I was telling. I, I woke up, and, and I'm trying to really avoid any... I don't watch the news. I, I recommend people stop doing watching the news some time ago. I try to read it so I can choose what I'm uh, getting. But uh, the first thing I saw when I checked email, and I only checked the very top, so I, in case somebody, you know, calls about something that needs to happen immediately, or they text or put it in my email. So the very first thing I saw was about this huge earthquake that's affected Greece and Turkey, a 7.6. That's a, that's a huge earthquake. And it must, it probably just happened. I don't know if it was in the middle of the night. Do you, Greg? If it, I don't know many details, but it, I just thought, you know, we're worrying about all the stuff over here, and then this is what happens. Then much closer, I mean, close in terms of the world, then we have this huge tragedy. Just, I mean, nobody's fault, nobody's, there's nobody to blame. It's an earthquake but it, how devastating to those countries. And Turkey and Greece, are, are things are not good there anyway right now. And there are so many of the uh, refugees there. So, you know, this is a huge tragedy in the world. But this is what happens all the time these days, right? The, the fires were burning up everything on the West Coast and then Colorado, and we've seen this happen over and over again. So... It almost minimizes, it probably should minimize the political stuff going on because this is what we call samsara. We are wandering in samsara. And the samsara is just all the stuff that goes on in this world. And if you're following the teachings of the Buddha or you're studying them or however you're approaching them, our goal is to get out of samsara because there's no satisfaction in samsara and the way we get out of it is to stop stop this endless uh, cycle that we call life <laughs> life on this planet because that's what this planet is it's it's uh, it's all about suffering even even the beautiful wonderful things that happen to us then we start to be afraid that we're going to lose those. Or, you know, we, we have something wonderful and think that's all we need for the rest of our life, and then something else happens, and we want something else. Or we want more, or we don't want to lose what we have. And so one of my favorite things that I can keep coming back to is understanding the eight worldly concerns that's what I had to write down because I get six of them and then, then I'm just, my mind just is dead. Um, so these eight worldly concerns are what typically we're always bouncing from one pole to the other on all of these. There are four, pair, four pairs, so there are eight concerns. But it's, it's how our basic, normal human life is always bouncing from one to the other. And uh, these are, this is natural, this is human nature. But what we're trying to do is to get to a point, that middle ground, 
where we're completely balanced, where we're less and less thrown from one extreme to the other. And when we get there finally, that's pretty much uh, the goal, to get to that point of perfect balance, perfect moderation, along with having and what it takes to get there is really good moral behavior and, and uh, good qualities, really uh, qualities that are helping ourselves and our loved ones and the rest of the world. But the balance is what we're really looking for, true equanimity. And it's uh, upeka in Pali. But it's that true sense that we, it's the sense of it for someone who has, has achieved that equanimity is that they're okay with whatever presents itself. It's, if things are bad, they accept that. If things are good, they accept that. Doesn't mean that they don't uh, want things to be better, or they don't, it doesn't mean they don't want the world to be better for people to feel safer and people not to be hungry or people not to be homeless. They're all, they, there's not, it doesn't mean they can't be active in helping make the world a better place, but they're doing it from a point of that, of equanimity, which is, I'll help where I can help, but I know I can't, may, I'm not going to be able to change the world, perhaps. I'm not going to be able, my goal has to be really broad. Like, I'll do what I can, you know, to, to save the next starfish on the beach. I'll do what I can to help feed my community. Or like Bhikkhu Bodhi is working to end world hunger. And he has a lot of support all over the world from an idea that that was maybe the least harmful thing he could do but could be active in helping the world. And chose it because the Buddha always said that you can't teach a starving person the Dhamma. You need to feed the person, make sure they're well, they're fed and not hungry. Then they'll be interested. Then you can teach them, but you've got to take care of those basic needs. We've got to, and so that's a noble project for any of us. We want to take care of animals and creatures. But if we do it from that point of equanimity, we're going to be more, we're going to be able to keep doing it longer. We're going to be able to have the energy to sustain those actions because we won't give up in despair. You know, we won't decide it's just a losing battle because any battles in this, in this cycle of samsara, though they're all losing battles. And what we're trying to do is learn how we can, you know, get, get away, get out of all the battles. So the eight worldly concerns, gain and loss, so whatever we gain, and we make, you know, when we gain something, say a huge job promotion with lots of, lots more money, we can gain that, and we might even keep it, but we can then also be worried about losing it. So now I've got this huge amount of money and this great position, but what if I, what if, what if I lose my job? What if the pandemic shuts down the company? What if everything that I've worked so hard to gain is lost? So with the gain comes that fear of loss, and then the other extreme is the loss itself. But once we have that gain, we can worry a lot. We can, we can spoil the, the dream of how wonderful it, it, we thought it would be with worry about losing it. Fame on the one hand and insignificance on the other. And I usually will say, I, I've usually talked about it like fame and then blame uh, or ignominy on the other. But it's really the fear for someone who really wants fame, the fear is to be insignificant, however they measure insignificance. So it's a, that, that's, once you have that fame, the fear is, I'm going to lose the fame, I'm going to be a nobody again. And that makes it, I think, seeing it that way, it makes it a much more, uh, it makes, it makes it much more on our, on our level. Because 
there can there can be that feeling of insignificance that can that can be something we might all wrestle with at some level maybe in our job maybe with our family maybe with uh you know whatever what is it that we are we placing too much attention on our uh being significant in the world as opposed to the insignificance of being just a regular human being like everybody else. The third one is happiness, and suffering is the opposite. So dukkha. Sukha means happiness, and dukkha means that dissatisfaction that we all have. So even happiness, we're, we're, we've got, we go from happiness to suffering. We can do it in an instant. So if we... You know, if we have a really good treat and we're eating the very last of the cheesecake that we squirreled away in the back of the refrigerator so nobody could see it, and we finish that piece and then there's no more, we've gone from ecstasy to, to complete dukkha. And then suddenly the feeling is, i got to have more, and I'm not going to go out at midnight and go find it. So that we can have that kind of uh, suffering, like there's just no more of this thing that I was really looking forward to. Everybody's in bed so I can just enjoy it without having to share it even. And we can go from happiness with anything. We, we know that. We've seen that. Happiness with uh, the weather. Happiness with something that we do with our friends or with our family. And then somebody gets in an argument or... Uh, somebody ends up, there might be somebody in the group who really kind of makes everybody else's day be, kind of go sour. So we can go from happiness to suffering easily. We, we know that one, I think. We're all familiar with that. And suffering is everything from just a little irritated to physical suffering. But it can just be dissatisfaction. Like we went out and had a wonderful time, but maybe we, maybe we should have gone to a national park instead of a state park. Or maybe we should have uh, tried camping out instead of staying in a motel. So it can, be, it can be just all those little things that can niggle around in our mind. Like we did this, it was, it was good, but it could have been better. Or maybe we should have done it a different way. That's suffering. And that's all that what if that, that we can do. And the third one is praise and blame. So that's another one that we can all probably, we, we want praise. We want to be told we're doing a good job. We want all those nice compliments. But then we don't really enjoy having people attack us. I mean, if you, I mean, when I, I haven't had this happen very often, but when I've had somebody on internet, not on internet, on Facebook, which I try to stay away from kind of getting deep into Facebook, uh, because for the last election, I had some, a couple of people who attacked me for doing what they thought was being too political. So then I got off of Facebook for about four years. Um, and there's and nothing political. But uh, I didn't even think what I put up was even that political. But I, I really, as much as I could say, well, you know, I don't, I don't buy those. That's not, that's not my responsibility. to, But to be criticized for it, and especially because I was a bikuni, to be criticized for being political at all um, was really hard for me because I didn't want to say anything back to them like I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was what was really hard. So cut, trying to hold my uh, opinions to myself but have at least respond to their comments. But after the first response, um, I, I didn't respond anymore. I just, I couldn't get into that conversation because I wanted to be, I wanted to be nice. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure I wasn't so nice, but at least I wasn't, I, I, at least, at least I wasn't 
terrible. Um, so that, that was one example for me where, wow, I really didn't like, I went to, it went to blame so suddenly and without even me doing anything I thought would be offensive or, I think it was the, one of the, the first debate, I just made a comment, uh, I thought Hillary was great. You know, made, was really, uh, there was a lot of content to what she said. And that's what I, so I felt like, isn't that blameless? Did I really, was that really that political? But, you know, I guess it was for some people. But to be able to, to just even see that kind of blame was, I, I just can still remember the sting of it. It was, it was, because I felt like it was unnecessary. I wasn't, doing, you know, I would, took it very personally. And so we go from uh, compliments to blame, and it can, it can really have a sting for us. Uh, whether we feel, okay, I earned that or not, it's a, hard, it's a hard trip from one to the other. And so what the Buddha was teaching us is that we have to stay away from those extremes. So if we're not really eating up the praise, then we, we don't have to be bothered about the blame either. All we have to do is check in with ourselves. You know, we can, we, we can know if we think we're doing the right thing because we know what our standards are and we know what our own, what our sila is. And that sila is just our sense of more morality. We know, we know if we've done something that's inappropriate or not. And we don't have to be dependent on, uh, the feedback from the world to tell us to make us feel good or to make us feel bad about ourselves. So these things are what I think we need to be really focusing on, the eight worldly concerns. One side are our hopes and our dreams and the other are our fears. And we need to come back to the middle, find that point of balance where we're not depending on having all of our dreams and our hopes fulfilled, and we're also not feeding into our fears. Because we can be just as miserable having all of our hopes realized if we spend our time then being afraid that we can lose it so easily, we can lose all of that so easily, or uh, feeling bad because we've got to fight to protect everything that we have. So. What we're seeing in the world right now is just, which is full of this. This is what, this is what we're all raging against every day. If we're watching the news, if we're reading the news, if we're talking to people, if we're trying to, uh, you know, work from home and that's a struggle, or if we have to work as an essential worker and we're out in the public and that's a struggle. And if we're missing our family, if we're missing people in the hospital that we can't even visit, if we're, you know, all of the things that we're doing, whoever we are and whatever level in life we are, these are the things we're all dealing with these days, which is exactly why I'm telling people, take a news fast, maybe through the end of next week. <laughs> I mean, that's... that's it's, it's, I know we can't do that, I, I'm, but we can certainly modify it because what we want to do is be those people who can be more equanimous during all of this. It's, it's up to us to, can, and I tell people you've got to be practicing. You need to be practicing in your chair or your cushion, and you need to be practicing in everything you do every day because this is just a, such a, charged time that we're living in, that we need to be, and you can't expect anybody else around you to do it. You can only have those expectations of yourself. Try to sit for, if you can, sit for 30 minutes twice a day. And if that's hard for you, try to, if you can start with 10 minutes twice a day, once you sit and once you can let go of the tension in your body, then you probably can relax and sit longer. So you want that quiet, committed time to be quiet and to be working with your mind. And it might just be stilling your mind. It, it can be a body scan. 
And I think doing a body scan these days is one of the best practices you can do because having all of this stuff going on around us in our own households, with our family members, with friends, with people we just don't even know, um, it's causing us to have, we're, we're, we're disconnected from our own bodies. A lot of times we just become ungrounded because there's just too much. So if you do a body scan, and it, it, you can easily do a body scan that takes 10 minutes or 30 minutes, and all you have to do is just stay with it as you move through your body. You can, you can just do it with your feelings, how you check in with your feelings. Just let that be your practice. Just check in with your physical body. Check in with your feelings. Check in to see, just are you able to find, with all of those things, can you find balance? And feel, you'll feel yourself becoming more grounded. And we need to be connected to the earth. <laughs> These days, being out in nature is really healing and really healthy. Doing those body scans, doing yoga nidra, doing something, taking walks. Um, it do walking meditation, and and uh, it's more and more teachers recommend your walking meditation should just be walking. You don't have to do, not should. They recommend just walking. Normal normal pace, normal walking, is probably the best way to also do walking meditation. You just don't want to, uh, if you're doing it as a meditation, you probably want to be in a, uh, an area where you're not going to be bumping into people. You know, you, you, your you can see them, but you don't want to be distracted by a lot of uh, disturbance. But you can walk, that can be, you know, anywhere. And uh, it's, it's very grounding. So that's a practice that will help, help us stay in the middle of these of these excessive concerns. So how about questions or comments from anybody? Uh-huh. You still want us to scan? That would help. Then I can hear you, and then I can hear you. Uh, I was thinking as you were talking about two extremes and the middle way, which of course is also big in Western law. I mean, the Greeks, you know, the Aristotle put uh, happiness and ethics in the middle for the two extremes. Oh, good. And I was reminded of something that St. Augustine says in his monastic rule way back there in the 5th century, was that um, it is better to want a little than to have too much. And I think it's staying on the side of wanting a little and being aware of what you don't have and being happy with that can avoid the pull of the other way, which I think is much stronger. Yes. So, um, anyway. Uh, I like that saying, it's better to want a little than to have too much. It's a better to want a little than to have too much, right. in case you didn't hear all that. And I love that, Aristotle, you said happiness and morality, right, right. are in that center. And that's important because that's exactly what the Buddha was teaching, even teaching mindfulness. It was, it, you have to develop that foundation of good morality to even be truly mindful. You know, that's, that's, so th those are, that's perfect, right in the middle. And you know, a, a lot of famous people, I remember Margaret Thatcher said uh, that it was, if you want to be like a, a, a strong leader, which she was, she, her, her uh, motto was sort of like, always be a little bit cold and a little bit hungry. And that's how she could go into meetings and, uh, all kinds of stressful situations as a leader. And I've always remembered that because that's actually that, that follows on what you're saying. Yeah, just don't, don't be so sad. You know, and the Buddha talked about, don't be like, even with our eating, don't eat too much because then you're drowsy, you're lethargic, you can't meditate, you fall asleep. And don't undereat. He said, you eat enough to keep this body healthy. You don't eat for other reasons. You want to be healthy because you want to practice, you want to live your practice, but you don't, you don't do the two extremes. Yeah, it's all that middle, that very middle, and we're human beings, so 
As long as we're not totally enlightened, you know, equanimity is that very last quality that even the Buddha had to master before he became enlightened. So don't ever, don't ever beat on yourself if you, if you can't stay totally equanimous. You can't stay at that perfectly balanced thing because the nature of human beings is that we get caught up with our emotions, we get caught up with things in the air, you know, with, we can, some, we probably, if you even did a total news fast, you'd be getting caught up with what's floating around in the air about it. But that's our nature as human beings. We have these, these emotions and these, uh, things called our thoughts. Uh, anybody else, a comment or a question? If uh, Buddha was alive today during the pandemic, what kind of counsel well, I can't, I can't say exactly what it would be, but I'm sure he'd tell everybody, just settle down. <laughs> he'd probably encourage isolation because that's kind of a, a, a model that the Buddha and his monks set that, you know, they were, they were the ones, they were the ones going out and kind of living in the wilderness, living close to a village where the people could feed them, but the ideal situation was, you know, find a nice tree. When he talked to his, as he sent monks out to go out, he'd send them out in pairs at least, or in really small groups to go, kind of go out into the world. He'd encourage them, you know, find a nice, uh, ideal conditions, a nice little forest with trees, because you can meditate under the tree and that can be your, you know, get some shade and that could be your place. And a village nearby, so you're not right there with the village people, but you're, you're off. But the villagers will feed the, the wandering, uh, ascetics. So they, they'll feed people that they know are spiritual mendicants. So you have your food. And you have people that might want to listen to your dhamma. And you have the privacy and the isolation. So I think he'd encourage people to kind of look at that model. But I think he'd want us to, to, I think he'd want us to try to work for detaching from the, all the different viewpoints and all the different work, thinking about what's going to happen Tuesday, what's going to happen Wednesday, Thursday. But I'm only giving you Probably my opinion through what I think, you know, it's my opinion through what I think the Buddha would do. But I know it, I, I'm pretty sure he would say we've got to all calm down and breathe. And that's our practice. And if, if that's the only thing you need to remember, is whenever you get into what might become a terrible argument with somebody or somebody that you really love and respect, but you don't want to go, you don't want to go to kind of down that rabbit hole with them. We have to remember what's our practice, to breathe and to calm down in the process. That's all we have to remember. Uh Uh-huh. So we were talking about doing the body scan. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably if someone does have a lot of stress and they're they're tense or they're anxious, and that that, that kind of includes everybody. It's good to start by listening, so you could even read it to them, or just you know guide them through it, or the two of you together you could just listen to it, and that and after a while, if people just can internalize it very easily. But to begin, a lot of us don't even know what a body scan is. And it might seem kind of scary, or it might be um, seem too complicated, or I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be scanning. And we, and we know it can just be a simply 
you know, just moving through the body and, and remembering to breathe. And especially, you know, think of... Uh, there was one monk, and I thought about doing this, and then it occurred to me while we were meditating that it would probably not be a safe technique. But at the end of his meditations, he tells people to rub their hands over their faces and kind of and first rub their hands together and get them warm, and then rub their hands, you know, kind of uh, brush their cheeks, and then he tells them to like massage their head and their neck, and. Uh, I thought I, I think right now, since we're you know that would that would make everybody in this room probably a little anxious. Like you've come into this building and you've probably been touching things that you're not so sure about. And if I started to tell you to rub your face, <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. And and so I realized, okay, not a good time for that. But yeah, I think leading it or doing it together, or, or there are millions of them on YouTube, and also. Like if you check out some of the ones that, that I do a lot of body scans with uh, the things I do on Facebook and they're on YouTube. Jason? Right. In mindfulness-based stress reduction, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So if you didn't hear the question or the comment, uh, Jason said John Kabat-Zinn went on a, what, six-week or six-month retreat? A six-week retreat after the invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah, if you can do that, that's pro- now's probably a good time. But then you wouldn't want, you probably don't want to be doing a live, yeah, it's, we have so many things we have to deal with with the pandemic on top of all this stuff. But... Um, if you can, but, but what you can do is commit to being aware of the stress, being aware of how difficult it is on your body, uh, on, on everyone, and, and make a commitment to do something about uh, lowering your own levels of anxiety or fear or stress or just anger. You may be perfect, no stress, but you're really angry about the situation in the world today. Because none of the stuff we're experiencing is isolated, sad to say, to this country. Um, So, I I don't know if it's telling me something, Tessa. Oh, it could be a sign. Okay. So, so whatever your emotions are, what you do see is, even if you don't have any of these emotions and you're very calm, you see it in the outside world. And your commitment can be to contribute to the peace of the world by your practice, by your meditation, by your metta practice. Metta is, we need to be practicing metta Sending out goodwill, so I, I'm, you know, the, we we usually translate metta as um, loving kindness. And I was having some questions about can we send out loving anything these days? And I'd been corresponding with a teacher and translator, and we were he we were thinking, well, this is at least without being able to find the right answer, it's a good conversation to be having. And ultimately, I realized, yeah, we're going to have to break through some barriers, but eventually sending out those loving thoughts is probably really what the Buddha was talking about. But we can, if we can't handle that yet, we can send out thoughts of goodwill. And be, because goodwill means we want 
other beings to be happy. And we know if someone's happy, truly happy, contented, true happiness, then they will be the best person they can be. So um, we need to make that commitment in our daily lives, number one, that we're going to spend some time, more time with ourselves and more time practicing because we need all, the world needs that, that good energy that comes from practicing. And we need to carry it out with everything we do during the day. So it's, I think that sitting practice is like going to the gas station and filling our tanks up. I mean, on a, on a kind of daily scale, it has other really important uh, benefits as well. But it's like filling our tank up, that time with ourselves, that quiet, that allowing allowing ourselves to understand ourselves better and see ourselves more clearly and get that feeling of being grounded. And then we can go about our daily activities so we don't get angry at a comment somebody makes or we don't kind of flip out when we see somebody doing something that we think is a real invasion of the environment, doing damage. You know, we want to be moving towards equanimity in all of our behaviors and that's because it brings peace to the world. It's that much less fear and anger and sorrow and uh, worry that we're, we're not putting that out into the world. There's enough of that. What we want to do is put out the opposites of that. We, wanna, we want to radiate out goodwill and peaceful peaceful, kind thoughts about even our enemies. Because if we can wish them well, they're becoming well. Well, you know, it's like pulling the thorn out of the lion's paw. It's a bold move, but it might make the lion less ready to eat you. (laughs) At least in the fairy tales, right? But that's what we're, that's, that's what we know. If we can, if those feelings that we send out have any value, it's because we're genuinely sending out, we, I want this person to be as happy and as well as possible. Doesn't matter if I can't stand to hear the name being said. It, it's, it's about purifying our hearts so we're able to accept and be equanimous about all beings in all political situations and all area. Even we have to be okay if we have to witness injustice. We have to wish, send goodwill to the people who are perpetuating that injustice because we really know that that person is suffering. There's some reason they are suffering or they wouldn't be making choices that they're making. So we don't want to wish any more suffering on them because that's just like encouraging them to be, to be worse in our eyes. We want them to be well. We want them to be happy. We want them to have compassion in their hearts. And we think, we think, we believe that if they have those qualities, that will make their lives better. So that's, those are our hopes. <laughs> but again, we have to always, it's not going to happen overnight. We have to keep coming back to that sense of balance and realize that we have to try to stay in that middle, middle place. So that's your, that's your, uh, assignment <laughs> you might just want to take and take some notes I'm encouraging I don't do it myself but I do encourage people to keep a journal and it might just be your emotions of the days maybe you don't have to te- you don't have to keep a record perhaps of how much you meditate but you might want to keep a record of when you were able to kind of curb saying something that you just wanted to say, but you knew it was better not to say it, that it would just be adding fire, you know, oil to the flames. So maybe keep a little record of kind of how you're doing 
with your emotions. So thank you so much, everybody. It was beautiful to be here live at Blue Lotus, which I haven't been in a long time. So thank you so much. I only have one announcement. I don't know if I want you all to really think if you have the time and if you uh, can listen to uh, Professor Premasiri and the the uh, monks all know him, and he he's taught many, many of the monks from Sri Lanka, and he's taught monks from around the world. I think he's taught students of uh, Buddhism for many, many years. And that's tomorrow morning, and it's on Zoom, and you have to sign up to uh, get your... get, And you have to sign up within two hours, Tessa, of the event. One hour. And then... If you have signed up, then you get a you get that link pretty close to the time, like within 30 minutes before. And I think it's he's. Uh, I, I know the monks are all so excited. All of our monks are excited to get to uh, listen to him and hear him because he's very. It was a big deal getting to have him give, do a talk. So. I think if you're if you're interested in that and you're doing things on Zoom, and there are little there are some more information about his career and how he's uh, a little bit more a little bit more about his background, a professor in Pali and Buddhist studies at the University of Peridinia, which is where uh, the monk's home temple is, outside of Kandy. So. That's it.